from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Um, court delays under staffing by the prosecutor's office or the public defenders. There's just a lot of um, phases in the system that could delay people in jail. One of the biggest challenges we see is bail. Once someone has a bond over $5,000, it's very difficult for most people that are in jail to pay that amount. I'm Sarah Fenske. A new study from researchers at the University of Missouri-St. Louis shows a surprising dichotomy. It found that jail admissions dropped in St. Louis County from 2009 to 2019, but the jail population during that time still remained stubbornly high. And joining us today to explain why is Beth Hubner. She is a professor in the Department of Criminology and Criminal Justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. So, Beth, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. It's nice to see you in person. It is very good to do this in person. Um, You've been studying this issue for quite some time, but this report, it it really is very extensive here. How big was this drop in jail admissions as you look at that decade? Right. So, and I should say thank you to my uh, co-authors, Lee Slocum and Andrea Giffray, for their work. And yeah, so our goal was to look at jail trends over the last decade to see if we could find some trends and to inform jail work nationwide. So this isn't just for St. Louis, um, but to drive policy. Um, And so what we found was that emissions declined 40% over that period. That seems really big. It is really big. But maybe when we think about what's happened in St. Louis over the last decade, it shouldn't be surprising because we've seen legislation like SP5 and a move to um, reduce the number of people who are brought into jail for the misdemeanor crimes. So most of those reductions are from those lower level crimes. So I think that's a good trend that we see. Yeah. So that's a very positive trend. Mm -hmm. And yet when you look at the average number of people in jail during this 10 year period, that's not showing nearly as big as of a drop. It is not. So we only see about a 2% drop over that 10-year period um, in the number of people in jail. So that means the jail's been near capacity for a long period of time. And most of that's due to this longer length of stay. So similar people are spending about 12 days longer in jail Um, you know, in 2018 compared to 2010. And as you say, this is coming at a time when St. Louis was really grappling with issues of over-policing and and people being jailed for longer than they needed to be. There was Mm -hmm. so much attention paid to this issue. So let's break down what was happening here. Why is that length of stay going up so dramatically at the same time the number of people in jail is going down or being admitted to jail is going Mm -hmm. down? Well, some of it we would expect. So if you have more serious people in the jail, you would expect them to stay longer. And we do, and we do say that in our report, people for serious crimes are spending um, the longest, you know, day, time in jail than any other crime. So that's important to know for public safety. But we also don't understand why we're seeing kind of the scope of the increase, why it is so large. And so some of that could be um, court delays under staffing by the prosecutor's office or the public defenders. There's just a lot of um, phases in the system that could delay people in jail. And one of the biggest challenges we see is bail, is that bail has increased over this decade. And so many people simply don't have the means to pay bail, so they spend longer times in jail waiting for that court appearance or for someone to pay their bail to get them out. And when you say bail has increased, do you mean we're using it or we're requiring it in more cases or that the amounts we're asking for are higher? 
Great question. About 60 to 70 percent of people are given um, a bond, you know, when they come to jail. But the amount that has been assessed to those individuals has gone up. Mm. It's only slightly, um, but we see like once someone has a bond over $5,000 that it's very difficult for most people that are in jail to pay that amount. So even if it's gone up a small amount to the people who are in jail and often their families, this is just a barrier that's too high for them to cross. And so when you're talking about the people who are now in jail uh, are often there for more serious crimes, these are not people where prosecutors have looked at this and said they shouldn't be out at all. Um, This is not somebody who they're terrified is going to go commit another murder right away. This is somebody who might have a bond set at $6,000, $10,000. They're the ones doing these longer stays. It is somewhat some of those people who who are deemed, you know, a risk to the community. But yeah, we do see some of these kind of mid-level violent crimes, which are still very serious, and also mid-level property crimes, where someone broke into a home, something like that, where we do see people staying longer. And and those are the difficult cases for prosecutors and public defenders and attorneys to work with, because they're often very complicated. How does race factor into this? Mm-hmm. We see racial differences at every aspect of case processing in the system and all of our work, but in particularly in this work. And it's really important to highlight to the listeners that every day spent in jail, it has a cost. It has a cost to citizens. It has a cost to the person incarcerated, um, loss of jobs, family support, things like that. And so we see African-Americans or black people in the jail spend 12 days longer than a similar white person. So this is a pretty substantial cost that we see. Um, We see bail amounts higher for black people, time spent in jail longer as well. Is there anything that would account for those differences other than that sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. that race factor? We do do a number of more sophisticated analysis that accounts for um, criminal history and things like that, other factors that are important in that length of stay, and we still do find a race difference. The race difference is smaller, but we still do find a small race difference. It's impossible to account for all of the factors that go into these decisions, but um, I think as these themes continue to come out, and given that cost of even three days in jail that you're probably going to lose your job, Mm -hmm. that we need to, you know, highlight the racial differences in terms of our policy going forward. And as you're looking at that, is there any one part of the system that you would look at and say, here's who needs to be paying attention to this? I mean, is this the prosecutors? Is it the judges? Mm -hmm. Is it all of the above? (laughs) Right. It would be really easy to point fingers at one group. But I think that's why this is a criminal legal system, right? So prosecutors make a uh, decision along with public defenders along with the judges. And so it really is important for reform teams to work all together. The jail simply has to take in who's dropped off at their door. So it's really important that we have a more coordinated response to jail reform. So something else I found interesting in this report, you also looked at the characteristics of individuals who ended up being readmitted to jail Mm -hmm. versus those who are not. And you went back to like that 20, I believe the 2010 Mm -hmm. cohort of individuals. What did you find when you looked at that? Yeah, we um, find that there is a pretty substantial revolving door um, that most people, well, not most people, but yeah, most people, about 58% are returned 
were readmitted to jail at least one time. And then what we find is 15% of people are readmitted five or more times. And so this is a group we kind of call them frequent utilizers because they use a lot of resources, need a lot of help. It's this group that we really want to continue to have policymakers look at. Oftentimes these are people with mental health challenges or other needs to kind of stop this revolving door of the jail. We're talking today to Beth Hubner. She's a professor in the Department of Criminology and Criminal Justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Such an interesting report that she and her uh, fellow UMSL researchers have put together looking at the St. Louis County Jail um, and how the trends there in the past decade uh, might well be trends across the nation, help Mm -hmm. us understand who's in jail, how long they're staying. A big point that we should make here is that you were looking at years from 2009 to 2019. There have been a pretty big effort underway that you're directly involved with that may change some of these things. Uh, That began in 2018. Right, absolutely. So I have been lucky enough to work with the MacArthur uh, Safety and Justice Challenge for the last about five years. And so the the team in St. Louis County has made a lot of um, efforts. And you see in this report pretty substantial declines in length of stay in the average daily population that happened um, after these interventions. And so I think the story here is that there have been these long-term trends, but that we can make this change. And the change only is achievable, in my opinion, when we have coordinated system actors. And I think that's what this project does, is bring people to the table um, to make these decisions. And I should say that we've been doing a lot of work with the Data Collaborative for Justice, who's funded this work and and the Pew um, Charitable Trust. And the goal is to have the data so that criminal justice actors can make informed decisions. So before we did this report, these sort of analyses weren't available to the jail. And now that the data are there, they can kind of make decisions moving forward. And do you feel like there's further opportunities for reduction? You know, this project that that you're Mm -hmm. working on, the goal is to reduce the jail population. So now that you have this report, are there some things you're honing in on saying, okay, you know, as we continue in this project, here are the things I really would like to see us focus on? Absolutely. So we're using these data to kind of map people as they move along in the system and to find these like levers that we can pull or these intervention points where we can make a difference. And we've identified a lot of those in the report. But most of it comes back to case processing. Why is it taking so long for people to move through the court? Sometimes we need delays or longer um, lengths of stay for civil rights, um, you know, and things like that. But are there cases in which things can move um, forward? For example, um, the grant is providing uh enhanced attorney services at at people's first appearance in court so that they can move through the system more quickly and so they can argue for a lower bail as well. It's interesting hearing some of these numbers about how long people were staying Mm -hmm. in St. Louis County Jail. Those seem to pale compared to some of the numbers I'm hearing about the St. Louis City Jail lately. There's been a lot of headlines there about delays in people getting their court Mm -hmm. date, delays in prosecutors being ready. Um, Is this something where you're going to share some of these findings across jurisdictions and even people who aren't directly involved with St. Louis County Jail might be able to learn from some of this. Absolutely. So we have worked on this project with Durham, North Carolina, and with Louisville um, and Kentucky. And so we're trying to look at these trends and we see a lot of things, similar things happening. So I think if we identify um, some of these intervention points that we can share this with St. Louis uh, City, of course, um, because we 
in the county and the city face similar challenges in terms of court delays because of COVID and things like that. So I think we can think of a more regional you know, plan or goal with some of this information. So we're always happy to share what we have learned. So if people are interested in looking at this report for themselves, we did just put that out on our St. Louis on the Air Twitter. That's at STL on air. If you don't already follow us, uh, you can just look at that um, Twitter account and, and get a quick and easy link to this. It's also linked on our website. That's stlonair.show. Um, again, stlonair.show if you want to read this report for yourself. So Beth, there's so much data in here. This is so valuable and I know you're going to you're continuing to collect data mm-hmm. but there's a rather large monkey wrench as we're looking at the last couple of years how does covid-19 affect this data gathering that you're in the middle of right uh, covid's made everything difficult for everyone um, in every aspect and so I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do going forward you know the numbers go up and down and up and down there was an increase in the St. Louis County jail the the jail has now declined again um, in terms of population. But I think having data at your fingertips allows stakeholders to make these quick decisions and to respond to delays and see who's being affected um, when they look at, at data that are available. I did also want to highlight for your listeners that the Department of Justice Services, who runs the jail, also has a public dashboard. And so, you know, citizens pay for the jail, and so they should see who's in the jail and lengths of the stay and other things like that. So that is available. Um, and, in a pretty real-time um, format um, on their website. So we'll also get that up on our website. Um, how interesting, like a real-time dashboard. This feels mm-hmm. like in the last couple of years, there's been, um, as far as transparency goes, people are doing a much better job at, at letting the public have access to this kind of data. Absolutely. That's been, um, you know, part of our whole push as part of this delay- data collaborative for justice is that it's it's impossible to make good public safety decisions without these data. As we think about the reforms that that are needed in our community in St. Louis, we can't do it um, just based on stories or feelings alone. We really need these data to see where we need to focus our efforts and also to document when we make successes, right? So I think that building up these data infrastructures are going to be kind of the key to this long-term reform in our region. So people who are interested in jail reform, interested in this issue, what would you hope would be the one thing people take away from this report and and the 10 years of data you have here? (laughs) Absolutely. I think one thing that I always want to highlight when we think about jails is that, you know, 60 to 70 percent of the people in jail have not been convicted. They're waiting for their day in court. And many do not have the means to um, post bail or don't have the support. And so it's really important to try to minimize the time that people spend in jail because these are people's lives and their livelihoods. And so um, that's what I always consider is is to think about that these people are, are you know, need their day in court and, um, and and to continue to provide them services as if they've not been convicted. So I think that's really important when we think about jail populations. Well, Beth Hubner, a professor in the Department of Criminology and Criminal Justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learn-
learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.